0: Let me tell you a story. When I was about 18, I did a gap year in South Africa. Whoop, whoop! And uh, I was was interning for Simon Pettit for a year. And um, as part of that year, we did a 10-day hike, the Otaniqua Trail. And... um, We had to carry with us everything we would need for 10 days. We weren't going to pass through any towns or go through any shops or anything. So there's about 50 of us, and uh, for 10 days we're out on the trail, getting further and further out into the wilderness. And in the middle of nowhere, on about the seventh day, Suddenly, sounds religious, on the seventh day. I can't remember which day it was. Deep into this trail, we came upon a stranger in the middle of nowhere. And of course, we, t- we talked to each other, hadn't seen anyone else for a few days. And uh, he obviously knew the trail well, and we got our map out, and he asked us what route we were taking and how far we'd come and where we were going. And when we said, we're going to take this particular trail, he said to us, you're going to need a gun. What do you do? Do you think to yourself... This person knows what they're talking about, has our best interests at heart, and is giving us good advice, or they're wasting our time. Now, unbeknownst to most of us, one person had bought a gun because they had done this trail before. When someone says to you, you are going to need X, you have an opportunity to decide to believe them or to not believe them. And as I read the New Testament, I see time and time again that God says to me, you are going to need each other. In Hebrews it says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day draw close. It says you're a body, one is a hand, one is a foot. If the hand says to the foot, I don't need you, that's incorrect. So when the New Testament says to me, you are going to need each other, I've got a choice. Do I believe what God is saying or don't I and I actually go to the the gatherings of the church I go to the gatherings of the small group and I go to the gatherings of relational mission by faith it's literally a conviction that I am choosing to believe God when God says you will need each other and so a huge part of what Mike was saying a minute ago and a huge part of what we're doing now is by faith. We're just acknowledging that God has said we will need each other and we are choosing to believe him. Isn't that right? Hebrews could have said, do not neglect to download Mike Betts' sermons. But it didn't. <laughs> a few years ago, I uh, became the elder that leads the team that leads the church at Cambridge. And um, one of the experiences I had was that when you're a, an, an aspiring leader, but not yet in situ, You have loads of good ideas. Your good ideas remain good ideas because they never get tested. But you can also have frustrations because you want those ideas put in place. And so I'm not projecting this onto everyone, but I certainly felt a level of excitement on the one hand. I've got all these great ideas. Frustrations, on the other hand, I want to get on with it. But I tell you what, as soon as I began, my perspective changed completely. I started reading the New Testament as if with new eyes. Suddenly, I felt the weight that, as one of the elders of the church, I've got to stand before God and give an account for what we've built and it's very sobering and I began to read the Bible with new eyes does it ever hear tell me that the coffee has to be hot or the band has to be tight that the sermon has to be 35 minutes and not 40 minutes we can concern ourselves with the wrong things And one of the verses which hit me significantly is from Colossians chapter 1, which says, this is Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's the killer, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. So here I am thinking, my job is to revamp the website, get more bums on seats, get the giving up. But that's not what this tells me. And some of those things might actually hurt this. Actually, what I've got to do is to present, you know, I'm taking this as a commission. If you do that, to present... Each man, each person mature in Christ here in the ESV. Present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Mike used the word discipleship in his talk this morning. Discipleship's a biblical word, really helpful word. It's one of those words, unfortunately, which collects baggage as it goes, as do all words that get used a lot. So for the purposes of the next few minutes, I'm going to use the word maturity, okay? Christian maturity. And as I read the New Testament with new eyes, I realized that maturity is really important. It's what God is doing in his church. So I started to feel, wow, what I've got to do is to present every person mature in Christ. And I'm not 100% sure that these strategies we've got in place are going to produce that. And even if they are, I'm not sure if I know that they are. Does that make sense? And then I was reminded of the Great Commission, Jesus speaking to the disciples, Just before his ascension, he said, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That kind of commission I'd already heard from Colossians, present everyone mature in Christ. But Jesus goes on to say, I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. And suddenly this brand new leader, feeling very, very out of his depth, had this hope to cling on to, which is that Jesus tells us to bring people to maturity. The Spirit tells us through the Word, but he also enables us to bring people to maturity because he's with us. He wants us to mature, and he helps us to mature. He even gives us gifts to help us to mature. So, Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this passage, which is called Ephesians chapter 4, and it uh, has some significance amongst us. There's a lot going on in Ephesians chapter 4, but let's read from verse 11. This is talking about Jesus, and it says, He gave the apostles, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, The shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now, that was another big foundation stone for me. God gives these gifts to the church not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints for ministry. Does that make sense? Now, equipping the saints is a ministry. But that ministry has to produce the saints doing ministry. Does that make sense? So a very simple example of that from City Church would be that Simeon, who's on staff, who's a a brilliant thinker and a professionally trained teacher, one of our more gifted preachers. If we were committed simply to growing a meeting, then what we would do is we would have the best preacher on as often as possible, because that would attract the most people. But what we felt convicted about is that one of Simeon's jobs as a gifted preacher is to equip other preachers. Does that make sense? So if you're doing shiny church, you put your shiniest preacher on the whole time, But if you're trying to equip the saints for works of service, that shininess might hamper your efforts. And so whilst Simeon could do all the preaching, we want to see other people come through because we believe that there are works of service prepared in advance for them to do. And so sometimes it will actually mean that Simeon does less preaching. Does that make sense? It suddenly, these verses added together, they shift from me and my ministry as a leader to other people in a big way. In a big way. It goes on to say, For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's just pause on verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. One of the things Ephesians teaches us is that as maturity increases unity increases. Does that make sense? If maturity is increasing and unity is not increasing, then maturity is not increasing. Does that make sense? There's this central point that both of these things are dragging each other up towards. So when someone says to you in your church, now that I've reached maturity in my, w- in my ministry, I'm out of here because I don't need you. We can go to Ephesians and say, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. I'm not saying people don't move on. They move on because they're sent and because they're obedient, not because they're disenfranchised or frustrated. So we're looking for a type of maturity that leads to unity Not independence. Does that make sense? Think about it really carefully. As a parent, you are trying to raise your child to live an independent life from you at some point. So that type of maturity is slightly different. If if when my sons are 40 years old, I'm still changing their nappy and dressing them every day all things being, you know, equal, that parenting hasn't been very successful. But if they're living an independent life, equipped for the world around them, then it has been. But a couple who are married are not on the same trajectory as that. They should be experiencing greater unity year after year after year. So in a way, that's a more helpful picture A mature marriage is greatly unified, isn't it? And so there's something in here that's being seen, which is Jesus pours out the gifts to the church to bring that church to maturity and unity. Remember the man on the trail? You're going to need a gun. Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, you're going to need an apostle. You're going to need a prophet. You're going to need teachers. You're going to need pastors. You're going to need each other. You're going to need to mature. You're going to need that maturity. You're going to need that unity. And so one of the things that we would love to do through this sort of togetherness is to produce maturity and unity In fact, it's almost the same thing, isn't it? There's a bit in Hebrews perhaps worth turning to, Hebrews 5.11, where um, whoever wrote Hebrews is beginning to feel some of the frustration that some of us have felt in the past. Um... So Hebrews 5:11 About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for the mature for those who have the powers of discernment sorry but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity have you ever felt that frustration i mean let's just take a parenting analogy okay my son's 7 years old For the last seven years, I've been telling him, eat with your mouth shut. Eat with your mouth closed. I don't know how many different ways to dress that up. I don't know why it's so complicated. And if you have any sort of aspirations for other people's maturity, you come upon this frustration that this author is feeling. A friend of mine uh, works for a tech company in Cambridge and travels. And sometimes when he has uh, meetings in Los Angeles, he has to do a very long flight. And what he's found is that he goes over to L.A. with his colleagues and they fall into two camps. Some of them change their watch the moment they arrive and if they have to stay up through the night they stay up through the night the other half pretend they're still in England and I've found that becoming a Christian is a little bit of a similar experience yes you've gone from Cambridge to Los Angeles the facts are true it has happened the difference is enormous. But if you live here as if you are still living there, you have not adjusted to the new reality. Does that make sense? And all of us have to go through that process called sanctification, maturing, where it dawns on us that we are now in this new reality. And we have to let go of those ways of thinking and those rhythms and that time on the clock because that isn't true here. Does that make sense? And we need to help each other to do this. I'm uh, part of a discipleship group in Cambridge and uh, this morning I just sent out a little WhatsApp question. I'm just wondering if there's any examples of Jesus asking questions. Can you think of any examples of Jesus asking questions? What are some of the questions Jesus asked? Who do they say I am? What what do you want me to do for you? Yeah, you missed that, but we actually said that right at the beginning this morning, Angela. Prophetic. What we... you Will you also leave me? <laughs> <laughs> what were you arguing about on the road? Do you love me? Jesus did some amazing teaching, but he pressed that teaching by asking questions. And we we need to do that with one another, brothers and sisters. We're going to have time to reflect, to ask questions. Some of the examples that we get in the Bible uh, about processing come from things like David in Psalm 139, where David simply prays, search me, God. Know if there's any wicked way in me. Do you guys pray that? Again, in Romans 12, Paul's example is, consider yourself with sober judgment. Do we, do we pray like David? Do we just think hard? Jesus used lots of farming analogies and fishing analogies. Paul uses lots of sports analogies and accounting analogies. I've counted it, this, that and the other. I consider it that and the other. I actually make a calculation. I think about it. Considering myself with sober judgment. Now, if I could like click my finger and have one wish granted to me pastorally, it would be that everybody in my church had perfect self revelation. I mean, wow, how many pastoral problems would go away if if that was true? It's quite something. It's, it's a craft. It's something we need to give ourselves to. And it's something we need to help one another with. James warns about, let's just turn to James chapter 1, 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, now, let's just stop there for a second. How many times have you come to a conference and you know, the stereotype is you sit on the back row, you don't talk to anyone, you go home with five or six teaching sessions, and then the next day starts, and that's all gone. Now, maybe, maybe I've got a slightly smaller ram in my head to kind of hold all this stuff. But actually... James is saying it's possible to hear those things and not do them, and he's warning against it. If he's warning against it, it must be a possibility. So he says, if you do that, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, uh, a moment ago, I was about to belittle myself because of my ram in my, my head. But here's what happened. Although I've been a Christian since I was five, and I've read the Bible many times, know who I am in Christ, a few weeks ago in an elders meeting, one of my fellow elders pointed at me, and he said, Daniel, you have got a chip on your shoulder, and I'm sick of hearing it. You always belittle yourself intellectually, because you're in Cambridge, and you didn't go to Cambridge. I've heard you time and time and time again belittle yourself and I'm sick of it and I will not have it. Isn't that brilliant? And I know he loves me. I mean, there's no question of it. There was a good deal of that Hebrews author in what he was saying. There was some frustration in there, no doubt. Maybe that's what it took to cut through. The people coming and putting their arms around me and saying, you don't need to think like that. That is really good and it's encouraging. But in this moment, it took that guy going, and I'm so grateful that he did. Because I don't want to be a hearer of the word, but not a doer of it. And actually, I'm not on my own in that. I need other people to help me do it. And you need other people to help you do it. I don't know how many of you were at the um, pastoral forum at the king's arms a few weeks ago but one of the speakers i can't remember the, his four points he had four points but he said right at the outset he said i'm coming into this talk with a couple of expectations one god is about a good work in you and he is trying to form himself in you and two you are resisting that And other people are resisting it, and there is opposition to what God is trying to do in you. And he went on to say some other things. But those two things just stuck with me, because it's true, let's face it. It's true, isn't it? We believe that God will continue a good work that he's begun in us, but we also know there's parts of us that are resisting that, which is part of what he's trying to form. And we need one another to get it done. let's just have a little bit of fun to end with. Steph, would you mind distributing these balloons to sort of people in the front few rows and on the aisles? What I want you to do is to blow up the balloon that you've been given and uh, I'll need a, a volunteer Grantley, would you be a volunteer? You're in event. Yeah, brilliant. You c- come up come up here, Grantley. Let's give Grantley a round of applause. What have you got to do? Okay, blow up your balloons and tie a knot in it. And we need, we need lots of these. We need 50, 60 or something. Let's go. Grantly, come and stand here with me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Part of Christian maturity. <laughs> you're not, you have to hold these balloons, but you're not allowed to hold them by the little thing at the bottom. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, let's say that Grantley is your church, the person in your church with the pastoral gift, okay? Just imagine, right? (laughs) I should have chosen, (laughs) no, I actually can't comment. Okay, so these balloons are pastoral problems, Okay? this. (laughs) This. <laughs> so, I hope there's lots and lots of balloons because we're going to need lots and lots of balloons for this. Grantly is going to take your pastoral problems and he's going to carry them. Okay, so why don't you guys bring your pastoral problems up to Grantly and and just let's let's give them to him. okay well done Grant oh, yes. Lee <laughs> even even with some creative look at this Even with some creative holding, um, that didn't quite work, did it? No. Okay. Why don't you have a seat? Thank you so much. Uh, Sometimes in in church we act act as if that's possible. It's not possible. And it's not the way we mature as a body. And that's what... God wants from us. A strategy that you could use in this situation is that rather than trying to take all the balloons Grantley could train up people to take balloons. And if they train up people to take balloons then all the balloons can be carried. But how does Grantley train up other people? How does he bring help bring them to maturity if it's not important to him? And he doesn't know how to do it. I've seen so many times in church life, ministries built around this notion that this is possible and this is not possible. There's an African proverb which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's what we want to do. We want to go far. We want to give ourselves to the nations. We want to give ourselves to the broken, to the lost, to those in need. We want to give ourselves to one another. There's no one in this room who doesn't need some Christian maturity. There's no believer on earth who will ever reach perfect maturity before they meet Christ. So helping one another mature is an All family, all the time thing. And it's going to take us leaning on the gifts that God's given us, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. It's going to take the work of the Spirit within us. It's going to take one anothering. It's going to take us praying to God, Search me, God, know me. It's going to take considering ourselves with sober judgment. It's going to take, sometimes, like at the council in Acts 15, discussion, challenge, like my fellow pastor challenging me. It's going to take a well-timed question. Imagine if when Jesus came to Peter on the beach and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Yes I do, thanks Jesus, see ya Jesus has done his bit but Peter decides to turn away which is possible then the result is that the change doesn't happen so sometimes I say to the church on a Sunday morning we've got a great preacher this morning have we got any good listeners? Because 50% of it or more is up to what you do with what you're about to hear, with what you do with that question. If, someone, if that guy had pointed at me and called me out and I'd just blown up at him, I might have then come back to the right place. But there's a response that we are responsible for. So, I want to just encourage us. Whatever happens at the gathering, there'll be stuff that you like, and there'll be stuff that you don't like. There'll be things that are really meaningful for you, things that aren't meaningful for you. I can remember as an early Christian, when I read a book that changed my life, I would recommend it to everyone as the answer to every problem. Then I realized just because God speaks to me through a donkey doesn't mean that God wants to speak to everyone through that donkey. So, we've all got to accept that sometimes God will be speaking to one person or to another person. Sometimes we'll just bear with one another. Sometimes we'll stand with one another. Sometimes there'll be something going on that doesn't particularly engage us, but engages someone else because we're all different. We need to go together through this stuff. And our attitude needs to be like Christ. We don't want to think too highly of ourselves, but consider ourselves with sober judgment. Having in mind that God has given gifts to bring us to maturity. So, he's on our side. He's doing it. It's a work of grace. It will succeed.